morning, and welcome to your daily gay face, just like normal. <laughs> yes, cue like is normal. off. Huh? I said my cue was off. No, it's, it's fine. Like normal. It's no, it's only our second time it's on, our on this particular time. platform. What's this called? Stream what? Streamyard. Streamyard. Yes. All right. I hope that it looks lovely. It looks lovely in here. Yes. So I'm yeah. Yes, it... last week or the week before, your problems were your Wi-Fi, your Montana Wi-Fi. Well, I was in Montana in the middle of a mountain. Yeah. Which was lovely. It really was. And and I always wanted wants, to go. Yeah. You. Oh my God. If anyone wants to go to Montana, I can tell you all the good things to do there. Um, the entire time I was good there, things that normal people do. Uh, hiking up a mountain or i was just gonna say well john had altitude sickness the entire time <laughs> we were there and i thought it was gonna be me being the asthmatic right yeah and he's asthmatic too but oh yeah didn't he, adjust which is, yeah. um no interesting <laughs> but the, i have some i'll share this with you after but i have some great video of every time he was like i'm sort of awful this is like my torture spot yeah like he's climbing up the mountain he's like eh. Uh, oh. I can't believe it. I've got like video going. There's John coming on the hike with me. Oh, We're at ten thousand feet, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm laughing. I can't help it. It's awful. It's like this little sadistic." Song. Yeah, really. <laughs> Poor guy's just going along with the hike with you. I know. Well, he's got a bad knees. Having bad trouble with knees, altitude. He's got the the hernia. He's got the bicep. <laughs> so, um, but so the hiking. So normal. There were lots of normal people hiking. By the way. Lots of normal people hiking. So that was a very common Up a thing. mountain at 10,000 feet. Well, Big Sky, yeah. Montana, is at 11,288. So oh, okay. I did not go to the top of Lone Peak because we ran out of time. But I was close. I came close. And um, I was inching my way up throughout the week to see, testing my limit to see what would happen. And certainly when you're, you know, I was there, we did one hike with this lovely set of um, four men from LA and we, that we happened to meet shocking mm -hmm. on the trail. And, um, and we were all huffing and puffing because as you elevate, you know, you're, by comparison, Mount Washington is what? 30, 62, oh, 62, something, okay. 63, yeah. something, I think, or 66. Yeah. yeah. So, so at our base camp, essentially where we were staying, in the in big sky, big sky is at 6,500 feet, and people were struggling at 6,500 feet. I wasn't, you know, because yeah. I do Mount Washington. Yep. And then where we actually stayed, where we were at our house, was a little over 7,500 feet. So then when we went hiking, we went oh. another 4,000. Oh, and I know you saw this, but I got my moose. He did, yes. Did you like my moose? Yes. So that was a great story because we had just finished that big, long, big, tall hike that we had gone on. That was our biggest one, and we came out we were driving around we always we'd always look for animals because you saw them everywhere out there and so we had just come off this little road called beehive basin road and and he had paused to turn left and i was like oh and all of a sudden that big mama that yep. you saw she jumped out in front of us which isn't part of the video that was the second time that we saw her because we oh. turned back around and caught her coming across the other side she came out we screeched to a halt everyone behind us screamed to a halt <laughs> and then john started to go again and then all of a sudden the baby i'm like the baby the baby the baby you know so that because the baby came flying across the street so we banged a yui and went back up on the side where we knew she was going to come through the other side and that's the video you saw that's nice it was awesome yeah so i saw several moose when we were there but that was my best shot the very first day we were there we saw moose up on the ski trail and i got a, a shot and then realized that my very long um 75 by 600 millimeter lens did not have the stabilizer on it so when i took 
I hadn't turned on stabilizer because I was just so excited. Yep. Yeah, the picture's going to come out swap. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you saw it. That's what counts. Yes, exactly. But it was it was great. So and and normal people go to Yellowstone, and we got to do Yellowstone a couple times. Yep. And so I love the entering Wyoming, entering Montana. You go in and out of Montana and Wyoming a whole bunch. Uh, you going through it's awesome. Have wow. you been there? No, no, uh, no. So on a daily, I got to see packs and packs of bison, and I saw some wolves. I saw some coyote. I saw oh, some elk. Sounds some great. Antelope. Yeah. Um, bald eagles everywhere, yeah. like along the Gallatin and Madison River. It was great. John caught a fish. Did I send you that picture? Yeah, I no, I saw it on his. Oh, you saw on it on his, his feet, yeah. right? He was. They were so proud. Of, they <laughs> at the Gallatin River, um, whatever their store is, were so proud of that fish. That's like what they're going to use for their shocker. John's going to get to be nice. Um, he's the spokesman. Yeah, he's going to be because that was one of the biggest fish that they've caught in forever. So excellent. Mm -hmm. So we had a very good time. It was very cold there. Yeah, you were saying. Well, and then the last two days we were there, it was very warm, which was good. So, <laughs> and then, but it was, it was just very nice. It was lovely. And, you know, I had a, you know, any given time, like go outside and there'd be a fox on my back deck or a grizzly bear. We saw grizzly bears. Um, yeah. It was very cool. Coming through Mammoth Hot Springs, there was a grizzly bear walking along the edge of the, sort of edge of the road. And everyone, the ranger was like, move along, move along, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but I want a picture. It was a bear jam. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Did you see any uh, male moose with like the big antlers? Um, so that baby in the picture that you saw the video, that's a male moose. But mm -hmm. we did not see any with racks. But we did see um, elk and mule deer uh, with full yeah. big racks that were beautiful. Um, especially at night when coming back from dinner, they were all over the road. So you had to go very slow or else you'd hit them. How were the restaurants? Wonderful. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Excellent food. I ate elk. I'm going to hell. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> I'm not an eater of those things, you know, as you know, like, I, you know, but I was like, fine, I'll do it. It was actually okay. It didn't taste gamey. It was good because yep. I don't eat venison because it's Bambi. No, elk is not gamey. No. And it was fine. Yep. And I've had bison many times before. So, and that was fine. Yeah, but then once I good. saw them out in the meadow with all their babies, I'm like, eh, can't do yeah. that. Yeah, well, there's a farm in Haverhill that raises bison. Oh, is there really? Yeah. Wow, and, I didn't know that. And at one point, it was on my daily trip. I'd go by and see the bison all the time, and they're selling bison meat. And I'm going, I watch those bison grow up. <laughs> you see and the calves. And, 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 they're, and then they're gone. I'm not going to eat that bison. See, this is my yeah. point. That's why you shouldn't have too personal a relationship with your food, which is why <laughs> I don't eat, eat lobster, vegetables. by the way. Just eat vegetables. And, well, I was going to say, or not eat the things I ate last night. <laughs> right yeah that's like um, anyway so it was wonderful i highly recommend a trip to montana and big sky if you can get out there um certainly do it and yeah, i was jesse that's kimball's farm that's right jesse it's what jesse chimed in on the farm in haverhill kimball's farm yeah oh yes yeah. yes i love kimball farm oh yeah have you been oh yeah I live, I live out there i've been well i used crowds, to live out there the crowds this summer were insane so yeah. i stayed away from it because <laughs> everyone everyone needed something to do you a corn maze person hey what are you a corn maze person um eh, i ha i've done them but uh, so i'm an apple picker it's coming oh you're an apple picker i'm an apple picker i'll do that and have apple cider donuts and then that'll probably make me you know feel the way i do today yes <laughs> i had things with gluten in them you know. Yep. Um, so any other questions, Lou, about Montana? No, not, nothing. 
we no. need to get to here. I, I, I do. I've oh, got access to you. I can ask questions. Huckleberry. Oh, yeah. I so I you said Lou you I promised me Huckleberry. I, and... I brought him back Huckleberry. You know where they're sitting? On my bedside table. Okay. So that's where they are this morning. But they are coming back to you and I will bring them. <laughs> so it was it was excellent because most of the food out there is made with you know some variation of huckleberries. And you could be hiking along and get a handful of huckleberries as you're walking through, which is why the bear were around a lot, because that's their favorite berry. Are they good as just berries? They're delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Very delicious along the wild roadside. So, nice. So what else do we have to talk about? I have resiliency and relevance today. Oh, the R's. Yeah. Because when we were, when I was out there, I was talking about, you know, you know, these are different R's. You do the three are, R's. Right. These are yeah. different R's, right? My, my typical three R's are being rational, reasonable, and realistic. And this time, um, good morning, Joe. Um, this time, uh, this is about being resilient and having relevance because over the weekend, Although I was in Montana for X amount of time, I was over the weekend. I was doing a really cool thing with um, the Human Baton and this project that they did over the weekend for athletes um, and veterans called the Shadow Ops and Special Ops, and it was like a oh nice a, a really cool experience for veterans and Human Batons and people of the Armed Forces and also. Um, fighter pilots and so on and so forth and um and several topics in conversation on saturday evening where i was came up about you know how people are resilient um and how to find relevance in your life uh in a variety of different ways and kind of goes off of what i was talking about when i was in montana about like you, you know feeling relevant by taking breaks you, yep. you know you become more purposeful when you kind of regroup and put it out there and have strength and your your confidence and so on. So I thought those two R's today would be not my typical R's, relevance and resiliency. How does, how does relevance fit into the overall picture? Because relevance sounds like looking for external validation or it can be. Well, it can be, but yeah. so it's in, so it's relevance to who? So it's relevance yeah. to oneself. Like, do you feel relevant enough? And are you, are you look? Are you seeking outside sources to give you a sense of purpose? Are you giving yourself a sense of purpose? And do you feel confident enough in yourself without the validation of others? Yep. Um, which builds resiliency. And one of the reasons why that came up is I was talking to uh, an Air Force pilot, and we were talking about what makes people in general, and we were talking about the gender difference between men and women and their resiliencies and mental toughness. And it was quite fascinating just because of, his resiliency is the same in my mind is the same as what I would say other people talk to me about in their own day-to-day -day lives that are not up in the air, flipping planes around and yeah, really 700 yeah. miles an hour. Right. But um, just the way that uh, you know, what gives you your sense of purpose? Like he feels a sense of purpose from like, say flying the plane. Um, but where does that really, where does that really stem from? What is that really giving him? For, and how do you translate that to everyday normal people life? Um, which is what's giving you relevance? Is it something that is external, which is there's nothing wrong with external, but how are you then translating inside to give you some kind of resiliency to make you mentally tough? So that what if that resilience, what if that um, external isn't there, which many times it's not. And how do you get reinforced without having it to constantly come up and say, you're doing a good job, or we yeah. like you, or um, this is important. I'm guessing the resiliency, resilience for a pilot is prioritizing your relevant, relevance. In other words, I can handle this, 
I can, can handle anything. I can handle, yeah, I can handle the grocery store. Right. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yeah. Comparing apples to trucks. Yes. Right. Yes. Literally. So, so people that are doing a high stakes thing like that, that takes a lot of mastery and some time, it gives you confidence in other areas that aren't as challenging. Well, that some people make to be as challenging. Well, right. And we and and one of the pieces of that is how, you know, keeping it, try to translate it to everyday life is how do you become resilient when your relevance isn't that you're a jet fighter or something like that? And how do you not get your ego in the way? There's all these really interesting pieces of, you know, there's fear. It's the same for anybody. There's fear of failure, fear of success, things that make you feel like you're going to do a good job or people are going to like you or not, or are you going to perform well or not? And sense of self, all these pieces yeah. go into a sense of self that make yeah. up um, your resilient, you know, mental toughness. It's really about like, are you mentally ready? Are you prepared all the time to be your best performance? Or even, you know, even if it's not the best performance, are you doing the best you can given that you, given what you've got? And oftentimes you find that people do not do their best when their own personal sense of re their personal sense of resiliency and relevance is down. Yeah. And, and for a lot of people that I see, a lot of my patients don't have that is a consistent factor. And I think most people, I mean, I think if I thought about it, most people have that waxing and waning. I think, you know, I, I can't speak to that particular pilot that because I don't know him well enough, but I would imagine, given the conversation I had, I would imagine he would say that he absolutely has had the up and down, just given some of the things he said about, you know, his his career of how he's come through and done all those things. But I think general everyday people, you know, um, everyone has the ability to live the elite, elite yeah. athlete lifestyle, you know, in their mindset, whether or not it's resilient enough or trained enough to do that, to be self-sufficient enough. It always goes back to like what you just said, the self, how do you do that and maintain it for yourself? To abuse a financial term, I'm guessing a lot of that waxing and waning is about sequence of returns. In other yes. words, if you are in a bad streak of decisions or performances, you know, then your confidence and resiliency is waning. Right. With a lot of people, but right. it's tough to keep that consistent. Well, okay. It's been a bad week, but you know, I'm going to go back at it tomorrow or I'm going to go back at it next week. Right. And so what do you think, given what you just said that, what do you think would make the difference between someone who would go back at it versus someone who gets down and then kind of crumbles? It goes back to sense of self. Yeah. Because especially from an athlete's point of view, because again, I was much more mentally healthy as an athlete than I am as a person. <laughs> But well, they are one in the same. We keep talking about well, this. Well, they should be, <laughs> but they they aren't. It's like right, if, I know. if you have you have confidence in your abilities, you go out and you have a bad game. It's easy if you have a good sense of self as an athlete. Right. It's easy to just say, okay, that wasn't great. We'll right. get them next week. You know, we're on to Cincinnati. Right. To quote my mentor. Right. We're on to Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, that 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 type of mentality where, okay, that wasn't great, but I'm good. I can handle this. So let's get back at it. So, so then, okay, so because we have a lot of people listening, right? So how do we then translate that to if you're feeling like that confident on the field or in yeah. the pool or on the on the floor or whatever, then how do you move that over into your everyday life? It's tough because the transition between athletics and life is that athletics are quantifiable, largely mm -hmm. quantifiable. You make games in practice, you make games in practice. You see it, mm -hmm. you feel it, you can quantify it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, score, your performance gives you an indicator. Life's not always like that. 
Mm -hmm. And you rarely get clean wins and clean losses in life. There's always a little bit of a mix. There's always something there, right? Or there's confounding variables that influence you or that make you have self-doubt or that could contribute to that. So going back to the key, I think of mental health, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, I will. Is the ability to attenuate your focus. Yes. Uh, yes. It's always, it always comes back to where can you put your, shift your focus, attenuate, right? So yeah. shifting focus over to. Because you're going to get a wide range to. of stimulus and returns. Right. What do you choose to focus on? Exactly. What do you choose to build on? Right. And so if you're choosing to focus on something that's constantly, you know, nipping at your heels or something that feels like, because, you know, people give in to it, right? It's easier sometimes that yeah. that road is so much easier because especially if the mentality has been um, taught to you that the negative will get in and that's mm-hmm. what counts. And, you know, there's yeah. not a lot of like hope out there or faith, which goes to parts of relevancy and resiliency, then, you know, the attenuation of focus has to be much stronger. So again, that has, and that has to start from early on in childhood all the way up through because people will say, oh, you know, 22 years old, I don't have, you know, that piece. And that piece is obvious to me sometimes yeah. that that's missing. And that's really hard at 20, 30, 40, 50 to, to start training. It doesn't mean you can't, but it means it's, you know, it's really strong behavioral modification to be able to pull that in to not be externalized because we're such a culture of, um, we perform for others, not for ourselves. Yep. We look for, you know, the self, you know, the, the, the self-recognition, but it's not really self-recognition. It's about others just validating our experience to give us the next piece that goes, okay, I'm good enough to move forward. Hey, there's that good enough thing. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the glasses half empty or half full thing, right. because you can look at a set of circumstances and you can look at your successes and failures. And one of which you're going to think is the aberration. Right. If you're confident and you feel strong and you understand what you're doing and you have a good sense of self in that particular endeavor, right. you think the bad thing is the aberration. Okay, I'll come back tomorrow. Right. But if you um, don't have that confidence, your good things are the aberration. You know, oh, I just got lucky there. I'm really a loser. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then it's or that you know the, that's where the imposter. Yeah. You know, comes in that I'm an imposter. People see through me. I'm transparent. I'm not as good as I thought I was because when it's not a consistent success. And there's that one little blip on the screen. All of a sudden someone thinks, Oh no, I'm going to be found out for the imposter that I am. And in fact, there's not an imposter. It's just the fact that the the confidence level for being less than perfect, which goes into those two hours today is a big piece of that is if you're perceiving yourself as less than perfect and think that other people will see you that way, it impacts the way you then perform. I think unfortunately life though, a lot of times in life you are, somewhat of an imposter because you're kind of taking it as it comes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think parenting is a great example of this. <laughs> the first time you have a 13 year old is the first time you have a 13 year old, right. you're learning the job as you go. Right. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Right. You know, right. you just, it's, it's a, you know, winging you're, it. Yeah, you're winging it. Yeah, yeah, you really are. And so it's tough to feel that kind of confidence, but hopefully by the time you're 13, you've had some successes, you've done some things, right. Right. You've learned some things you know, from, you know, lessons that you picked up along the way. So again, it's just a matter of focusing on, it's a matter of your self-image. Right. And, you know, focusing on the positive and the negative. I know it's how everyone rolls their eyes. It seems simple, but. Well, so there was, so there, so out of my conversation this weekend, as I was coming back on the plane this weekend, I was thinking about the different aspects that could, that not could, that do go into building that self-confidence or building that resiliency level. We'll call it the resiliency level in people. And so um, 
and it's kind of ethereal, but I, I was thinking, okay, so I think one of the number one things to have is your knowledge base, whether that's something academic or skill-based or whatever's, you know, involving your day-to-day -day life, right? Yep. Keeping it not to fighter pilots, and but in and elite athletes, but to normal people, right? right. So the, as much knowledge, skill, um, uh, you know, you're, you're honing things um, so that you have that base, you know, the foundation of just the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then resiliency then comes from then being really authentic and genuine. I think people that are authentic and genuine tend to have better resiliency when they're not, you know, looking fake. Yep. Um, or they're acting like they're genuine and authentic. And then, you know, in their knowledge base, if, you know, it kind of, you know, I'm going with this. Yeah. You can see, like, if you have a foundation that's got good, solid knowledge and, you know, acumen, and then you have um, um, authenticity to it, they feed each other. And when there's that self-doubt, that fakeness or yeah. or lack of self um, comes in because the ego gets in the way. Yep. And so the authenticity kind of looks, it's got that edge to it. So having the knowledge with authenticity, I think empathy for self and others, like understanding like yep. today wasn't a good day in this particular aspect, but all these other aspects were good. Like I've had conversations with my friends over in Sweden that help, you know, that I do help with, with the THB program. We've talked about having um, that empathy piece of like, if you look at the whole day is, oh, I didn't get that one thing done and my whole day is a failure versus, oh, I did all these other things. I just didn't get that one thing done. And, you know, so it's a shift. So right. it's, it's a matter of re reframing it. So having the knowledge, the authenticity, the empathy, and then I was sort of like thinking, okay, then what would be the other piece? Because I feel like there's one other little piece in there. And so I'm sort of still toying with what else builds the resiliency in that. And Well, let me try that because as yeah. I was thinking about that and you're talk talking about knowledge and emphasizing knowledge, I was thinking one of the important things that that I rely on a lot of times is like I, I'll sit there with a problem that I haven't done well with. And a lot of times I can feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. You just get, you get the skill of being able to learn, being able to, um, uh, being able to ask people. That's something people have difficulty with. Right. I mean, getting into the student position right. saying, okay, how do I do this? How do you do this? You know, what do you find that's successful in taking that and, and figuring it out? And I think that's a really important part of resiliency because people who feel like they can figure things out given enough time, you know, or given enough knowledge accumulating the right. knowledge you know that's that keeps you confident that keeps you going forward well i think the, i think and correct me if i'm wrong is that that asking for help or being not always in the know and right. being able to say i don't know that and putting the ego aside and the, the ego being your reality manager of like to protect you because that's what it does right is is that was what you're speaking to in large part is that's being, a large part of that skill of being able to figure things out yes because Oftentimes, and you and I talked about this, people really try to figure things out on their own because they don't want other people to see that they don't know. Right. And I think one of the greatest skills people can have is to have the humility. Maybe that's the fourth thing is having the humility yeah. to um, say, I need help or I don't know the answer. Um, I mean, when I'm teaching class all the time at, co at the college, I, you know, people ask me something and if I don't know, I don't, <laughs> I have professors that yeah. I know that just make stuff up and they, cause they <laughs> want to make sure that they are in the know. They're the and professor. Yeah. And they're the professor. They're the expert. And I, and I'll say, I have no idea. Yep. Or, 
I'm going to look at that up. Or if you look that up and tell me, that'd be great. You teach me because I don't know. Yeah, let's figure this out. Right. So yeah. because I think that that uh, collaboration and it goes to the authenticity and genuineness of being able to be a real person and actually have more resiliency because you, you trust yourself more that you're not supposed to know everything. Even if you're the expert, you're not supposed to know everything. Everything's, you know. Everyone teaches somebody something all the time. I think humility is a good one because what humility also allows you to do, it prevents catastrophizing yes. failure. Right. And often failures, negativity, bad results build quicker than positive results. Right. 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 People somehow, for some reason, you get two or three negative results that can really destroy your confidence in what right. you're doing. Get a couple positive results, you seem to need more. But, well, exactly. but negativity is tough. So having that humility that's like, okay, I don't know everything yet. I, I didn't do this right, but hey, I learned a lesson. Yeah, And I, th well, right. And so I think that, I think humility and being humble to be able to know oneself and to be okay enough with oneself to then be able to implement other, those other skills is probably the key as you know, I'm sitting there I'm yeah. looking around in my head going, okay, because that would make it so that you're not always worried whether or not you're going to fail because you don't have enough of the skill or the knowledge base or the, um, or you have to fake it. Yeah. To make it, Yeah, which is, there's nothing wrong with faking it till you make it as long as you're not out there purporting yourself to be this something that you're, you're not. Yeah. Um, because you open yourself up to vulnerability. And that's a lot of the reason why people get stuck in poor resiliency is because they fake it on the outside so much till they make it. But it's such an, an easy, vulnerable target to see through and get through because the person's sort of wearing it all out or leaking out all over the place because they don't um, you know. The irony about this is that to learn these lessons you have to have the ability to try new things because right. that's where you get these gains and grow confidence. Yes. Right. Yes. But if you don't have the humility to fail, you'll never go out and well, I can't, I can't, I've never done that. So I'm going to look like a fool. So exactly. I'm not going to do that. Well, right. okay. Go out and look like a fool. You know, a few weeks later, you'll be much better at it. Right. Yeah. Well, the being imperfect. Yeah. Being seen as imperfect and that, you know, the, and, and that's a very big social cultural thing for us here in the United States. You know, I can speak to that is that we just train ourselves and train each other into such a, yeah. a, you know, a very tight space of, you know, it's like running the marathon. What's your time? If I tell yeah. people that I wasn't under, you know, five hours, God forbid, you know, it's like that. That's it, the silliest thing. But, but, it, but it, it I'm matter, guessing people know, who don't run marathons are worried about time. Right. And so if, you know, if you're not, if you're not 50 years old telling people that you're running three, three thirties, you know, as a female, you know, for yeah. instance, right. Then there's a judgment there and being able to have self-resiliency enough to, that's why I, I mean, one of the reasons why I don't ever give my time because I know that's coming because yeah. I don't run a three thirty, and I'm happy with my five hour marathons. I don't care, yeah. but it's about, I know what's coming socially and so I'm not, yeah. it's not that I'm not willing to put it out there. It's like, I'm trying to make sure that people understand that it's not about the time. <laughs> it's about understanding the process. It's about being authentic and having the knowledge base and being humble. And it's like, I just finished the marathon. It doesn't matter if I didn't, I have, I have friends and, and athletes that finish it sometimes in eight hours yeah. for a variety of reasons. They still ran the marathon. By the way, those are the heroes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's and some great stories. Imagine behind. that kind of persistence and and exactly and resiliency. Exactly. To do that for eight hours and, and finish it. Right. Yep. Exactly. And I've had and I've had some you know clients like I'm not going to stay on the course longer than four and a half hours, and they and they don't they they finish, but there's that piece of you know like ugh, judgment to it that you know well some of us have to stay on the course that long, and you know some of us aren't built to to do it in two hours and 20 minutes, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, or some of us aren't at that age. I mean, so, I mean, so here's a resiliency piece because when you were talking about that, um, kind of like when some people don't have some of the skill sets, like I have asthma. I don't think most people until maybe we just talked about it with the altitude sickness state. Most people don't know that. I've had asthma since I was little. I went all the way up through, was an elite level gymnast with asthma. Yeah, It was always a curse to me. I've been hospitalized for it, right? The whole nine yards. And I run marathons with an inhaler on me and people, I've had people say to me like, oh, you run them in five hours, you know, or five That's minutes. Like, again, it's crazy. And I don't ever say like, well, you have no idea what my physical limitations are. I'm just out there doing it for me. And I think that that's where the humility, and I'm saying that today not to be like, oh, I have asthma and I can run. It's about, I don't care about your opinion, not yours, but you yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. about having the confidence enough. Like I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing this for you to say, Oh my God, you're such an amazing runner. I'm doing it because I raise money and I love the courses and I love the camaraderie of the people that yeah. I do do the running with. And there's so much Benny to that knowledge base, authenticity, empathy, and humility that comes in that whole package that I love. That's why I keep returning to it. And so many of my athletes that I do see, even at high level that don't have some of those physical limitations that run in the twos and the threes, you know, we work on those four pieces that I'm just talking about, about that they, they struggle. Cause if they did a two thirty-five last year and they did a two forty-two this year, the enormity of how less than they feel, yeah. it's like, it's just a different day, different time. Right. It's just, you know, whatever. But the beating up inside, and I get it because I've been at the elite level for gymnastics. So I know, you know. But their elite level, their self-image is based on that time. Right. Their entire right. self-image is wrapped up in the time. It's wrapped up in that one aspect versus all the aspects. Like I just said, it's all these things for me of why I do. Right. And I would imagine, you know, there's, I know there's people listening that are runners that they understand I that they understand that there's all these aspects. Like there's one of the listeners today, he's run the Boston Marathon 30 plus times in a row. Wow. You know, and there's gotta be a sense of resiliency and um amazing relevance to himself to do that. It's not just about a time. It's well, with a marathon, what else is there but resiliency? That's right. the whole challenge, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone can run. Right. Can you run for that long? Well, and I always love it when people ask me, like, what was your favorite mile or what was your favorite aspect? Cause that's such a great question other than when you get the, what was your time? Yeah. As you know, I don't answer that. <laughs> and it's not because I'm embarrassed. It's because I want you to ask me like, Oh, so I always tell a story. your like, experience I, with the event isn't wrapped up around time. Right. Yeah. You know, mine is like, you know, a couple of years ago I was running down the hill in Hopkinton into, <laughs> into Ashland and some person jumped out in front of me from running out from the woods to get, you know, a, a bathroom break, knocked me over, ripped my knee wide open. Oh. And I ran the rest of the race like that. And the fire department at the end ripped my pants through off my knee because it was stuck with like rocks and glass. It was awesome. But that's my story because <laughs> I ran the whole thing and I didn't stop because I knew if I stopped, I'd be done. Yeah. I was only a mile in. <laughs> I was like, I'm only a mile in and I've already had a crash. Yeah. You know, I'm bleeding the whole pants. Are right. But that's so much more of 
my experience of having the marathon. Your experience is resiliency. Yeah. Like Mm. I could, you know, or the year that we all ran that was hypothermic year with the rain and sleet and snow oh, and God, misery yeah. and it was terrible and like every other year and i, I know <laughs> yeah. and i told and i think i told you that it was like every mile i just because i never looked up because it was pouring so hard and i kept saying i'll make it one more mile and if i'm not hypothermic and not dead i'll keep going one more mile <laughs> and finally by the time i got to the top of bc which is the top of heartbreak hill i only had five miles left i'm like fine i'll finish but it was just that you know yeah. mile by mile which isn't the typical way i would do marathon but it's to the resiliency of what was it for me it wasn't about you know, not getting the medal at the end. Well, it kind of was for that, but because I like the Boston Marathon medals, but, but it's about finishing for yourself. It's about doing like, you know, I knew my limit. I knew not to go towards the medical tent. I knew that it's easy to give up. I watch people do it. And that's like the test of, you know, I have tons of runners right now because we're getting ready to do the Boston Marathon in October, odd time of year because it's shifted because of COVID. And the training has all been different and the resiliency level because of the weather has been changed. And, and, you know, I'd say I roughly have a dozen runners right now that are running it as well as myself. And you can tell the shift in mental aspect of how they're training based on the fact that that it's October. So the likelihood is, by the way, the likelihood is I always remind them like it could still snow. It could still rain. It's October 11th, you know, the whole nine yards. But, um, it's just different. And so, cause people have more confidence based on external that their running will be better because they've trained through the summer. And I just don't, I don't see it that way. I just think it's a marathon any time of year, anywhere. Yeah. You just touched upon another skill of those that are resilient, I think, which is the ability to um, stay in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we talk about an, to put in athletic terms, cause people are usually fans and they at least understand that they mm-hmm. haven't played. Uh, the cornerback's got to come back after giving up the touchdown. The pitcher's got to come back after giving up the homer. The golfer's got to come back after hitting a bad drive. Right. You got to be able to compartmentalize it, put it aside right. and move forward. Right. So, you know, b- being able to take it mile by mile in the marathon, for example, is a way of, you know, I'm not doing 26 miles. I'm doing the next mile. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and that was, and that's how I got through that marathon. It was just mile by mile. And that's yeah. when I ended up with the icicle in my shoe. <laughs> at the end in my sock so each result isn't a total um isn't a final verdict right on who you are right and what your what your skill level is but if you're heavily weighted on what other people think yeah it that it's a hard pattern to break and so many people have that issue with i'm doing it for that reason yep They'll say that they're not, but when you sit in my office and we do hours of therapy around like what's going on that's getting in the way, 99% of the time, it's not because the person can't do the skill or they can't do the functionality of their job, whether it's an athlete or business or a parent or whatever. It's because there's some external factor that really doesn't matter, but they put so much emphasis on it that's making their resiliency drop because it makes them vulnerable and well, then how they many, don't perform well. How many people are fighting that first experience on the job, first impressions, Yep. Uh, the first in, first time you had the in-laws over for Thanksgiving, that mm-hmm. didn't go well. So you're just it's 10 years later, but you're still fighting that. You're still, you're still battling that particular right. issue. You still That's still your self-image because you feel that's what they feel about you. Right. In the meantime, you've done it very well. You've done 10 years of Thanksgiving dinners. They've been great. But, you know, you're always worried about the first one. You think everyone's thinking about the first one and judging you based on that. Right. Exactly. You're you're so concerned about their opinion. 
Exactly. And that, and that, and so that's what happens across the board, whether it's athleticism or school or job or family mm -hmm. or coupledom or whatever it is, that piece is always in there kind of pulling at the resiliency level and being able to shift it. So that, you know, modifying like, okay, well, that was 10 years ago, or that was, you know, you know, everyone has a rough time cooking for Thanksgiving at yeah. least once or, or everyone has blown a Thanksgiving everyone's meal, blown something once <laughs> yeah. in their life. And, and there's where the compassion and empathy comes from is if you know that about another, it's like, well, you got to do that for yourself. And if someone's going to give you a hard time about it, then you have to really regroup in your head about not yourself, but it really speaks right. more to that person that, you know, if you've done a great performance, so to speak, you know, you've done a great meal, you've done a great job, you've given your all to something, but you have some minor flubs here and there or something that someone would judge you for. You have to look at that person yeah. versus yourself to say, what's really going on there? But people internalize it and go right to, I'm bad, because we're taught that. As we're talking about it, I think one of the ways to build that is what we talked about earlier is trying new experiences because it's it's low-hanging fruit. Yeah. You try something new and you're not good at it. Right. But weeks later, you are good at it. Right. You, you make gains and that right. gives you the ability uh, that gives you confidence and feeling I can figure this out. I can do this. Look at how, look how far I've come. I right. couldn't do that yoga class six right. weeks ago. I couldn't do that particular move. I don't know what they're called. Stance, move, <laughs> positions, pose, pose. Yeah. <laughs> Downward facing dog. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do that five weeks ago. Now I can do it. Right. Well, it's interesting. And these are gains that help build yourself image. So in talking about, you know, like the human baton this weekend with a, with new people that had been just introduced to, you know, because you know what it is, it's jumping out of a plane and riding yeah. in a drift car and a rally car and riding on an endurance horse and jumping in a very small little boat that could flip you at seven miles an hour. You know, all those things. When I was talking to some new people that were being introduced to it, the excitement's there, but that I, I many times over Saturday night, I got the... Um, I'm playing it in my head of a couple, a couple guys were like, Oh, I, I can't do that. Yeah. Which was surprising because the, the people I, which I won't say who they are, but who they were and the fact that it was so easy and quick to be like, I can't do that. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like, I do, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the only thing I won't do is jump out of a plane, but that's just because I'm afraid. And it's not because I'm worried about, I just am afraid. I don't want to do that. I don't want to jump out of a plane. Just won't do that. Let me guess, though. Yeah. These are the type of people that's the conversation will come up around the fire. But given some time to live with it, they build up the ability to. Well, that yeah. was so that was my so my comment back to these couple guys um, was that it's a processing technique. Yeah, that. it was like yeah. I said, oh, you guys can you know, you can do that. I'm like, it's just and like you could be a couch potato and learn how to like start the process and and they gave a couple examples of how like i've helped a couple of people for other sports and and they're like oh yeah well maybe you could see it shift i'm like well you you're already an athlete you've already done this yep. yeah but i don't yeah but i don't do that yeah well yeah but i don't jump out of planes and ride endurance horses or ever had been in a drift car or rally car before like you know yeah. but i knew that well i mean what can hurt to try well that's right? that's ego story setting Yes, it gets giving Such them it's giving them position. It's giving them permission to fail. Exactly. I don't do that. Right. I'm not good at that. I can't right. do that. And then right. they're going to go out and do it anyway. Or, and I, or I'm, I'm too old. I got that a lot this weekend. Yeah. I'm too old to do that. Yeah. Person's like 45. 
I'm too old. I'm too old yeah. to, to do that. Well, you're not too old to do the challenges, right? You're not too old to do some push-ups with some claps in between. But in try... the social circle with people that they like and admire, right? Because of things otherwise, they've kind of set up a. They've softened the ground mm -hmm. for what what might not be a great performance. They're going right. to go out and kill it, but they, yeah. But they've kind of softened the ground, right? Because then then. Yes, they have softened the ground. I like that. Yeah. So because then they don't have to actually live up to an expectation that they've set for themselves as opposed to like, yeah, you know. The expectation of set among the group is I, I'm not going to be able to do this. Exactly. And then anything is a success. Exactly. Which is fine because, again, I think the, I'm guessing with the process, they just keep going and end up doing it anyway. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and you'd see. So I'm in my head again thinking like for the handful of people that I had that particular conversation with on Saturday was I'm going to say one of the, one of the four or five that I was talking to probably wouldn't get there just because I could tell by the dialogue of yep. the negative right. mindset that it was good to watch them afar, but they would, and they were, and I would imagine just in their, knowing their history a little bit that, Oh, they're actually a good athlete, but this would just press them beyond that they wouldn't be the saving face by not doing it would be better for them than yeah. actually going out and failing and looking poor in this, in the performance, right? Because it would emotionally annihilate them. Um, yeah. You know, they're out there. People are out there. And, well, and that, and that, yeah. and that's what gives me a job because yeah. I'm constantly helping people shift over from their youth training of negative, 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 and being very focused on, you know, um, what people think. And, and everybody does it. We all do this. For someone to say, oh, I don't worry about what other people think. You know, took me years, and I've said this to you, took me years to say, I don't care. Yeah. And I still care. I mean, it's not that I don't care. It's just well, I don't let it infiltrate my psyche about, like, whatever. And there's a confidence level. And sometimes that pushes people because when you have a confidence level that's based on like, it's okay. You know, my, my confidence level, I have no problem sharing. This is not because I think I can do everything. It's I'm willing to try. Yep. So I don't care if I don't look great. I don't care if I fall apart on it. I, I just want to try because it's something fun. It's something new. It challenges me. And I had to get past the, well, what will I look like if I don't do it well? Because I was trained in gymnastics that everything has to be perfect. Yeah. And that was like, that was a, it was on the gym walls. It was, you know, it was like constant narrative. And so getting away from that took me many years to be able to say, I just don't care. Oh, your perfection was quantified. Yes. At every performance level. Yeah. But my, I'm also guessing. points at deficit yeah. and starting at a 10 going backwards. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing that's also because in your upbringing, the response to, quote unquote failure, whatever it was. Yes. Bad test at school or yes. uh, something you shouldn't have done as a four-year-old. Yes. You know, that response. Shame on me. Th yeah, exactly. Right. It, that response, it was largely external and it was bad. So, you, you know, there's a certain point, certain personalities get to a point in their upbringing where they just, I was one of them. It's like at a point you say, screw it. I don't care yeah. what you, I don't care what you think. Well, yeah, and it and it usually it doesn't usually okay, happen did in, what your I can. in your twenties. It yeah. usually happens in your thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. Like it happened for me, like in my mid thirties, all of a sudden I started making a shift because I was working really hard at it because I was like, I'm self limiting. Well, you're resetting your environment because right. that in the twenties to your thirties is the time when you get out of your family environment and right. create your new environment. Exactly, your new family, your new um, circumstances, your job, your relationships, stuff like that. Exactly, and you have a chance to set your own. 
your yeah. own your own boundaries, your own guidelines. Right. And I mean, it, it's great if you can do it sooner, which is when I see teenagers come in and I try to work with them and their yeah. parents on doing that now um, versus like waiting because I get people that are in their 50s and 60s and 70s that are just starting out working on that piece. And it's, I mean, many, many, many yeah. people have that, you know, that sense of. I didn't get a lot of this till I was in my 50s. Right. And it's like, so now I look at my kids and it's like, no, you're going to get this before I did. <laughs> well, and, and that's and that's one of my goals. Is I'm going to try to give patients, this to you before, right? Long before I do. Yeah. And my athletes to get to that point of, yep. you know, it's not in. See the message in my head. I so my my narrative in my head was always, um, when you say you don't care, it means you're being selfish. That's a socially normed in thing that we're taught. Don't that, care about other people's right, opinions, right? And that's oh, not yeah, what no. that means. No, it means I don't care about how I'm going to end up looking if I get to try it, if I get to experience it, I'd rather experience it than not experience it at all right. because I'm worried about what other people are going to think. And that is such a heavy handed message that comes down the pike socially to our children now, psychologically, it has been for years. That's one thing that I consistently see not change. Like the trend, the trend doesn't change to parents teaching their kids to not feel that way. Yeah. We just consistently, I mean, it's, it's always at the underbelly of almost all of my clientele um, for whatever reason. Um, and it's, but, it's a skill I go right after for yeah. a goal because people who have low, people say, I want, what's your goal? I want to work on my self-esteem. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. And it's so global because people come in with that big macro goal. I'm like, yeah, okay. But in two weeks, what does that look like? In two weeks, how does that, you know, well, I want to be able to stand up in front of my class and be able to speak and not like get bright red. Okay. Now we have something to work with. Why are you getting bright red? What is going through your head? And, you know, you go through all the, yeah. the dynamics of, well, it's because the resiliency piece of the confidence isn't there and the humility isn't there either even though the person's humble they're so humble that they're so afraid yeah. that if they it, that they're in shame that if they're not perfect they're going to be bad so they don't bother or they just don't raise their hand i mean this is a gender thing heavily and you know this is that men boys tend to be much more fact-based they'll blurt out things they'll just be like you know some fact on baseball or something. Yep. Whereas a female will be much more inclined to make sure that everybody's going to be okay with whatever they say. Cause we're definitely trained into that gender space of, um, you know, we're going to be judged for what we say, yep. you know, as a girl. Right. So the, the difficult teaching for a parent, which is not to care to, mm -hmm. to internalize your worth as mm -hmm. opposed to externalize it. That's difficult to teach because parents generally don't have it all right. that strongly. Right. Secondly, they model the exact opposite message. Like for mm -hmm. example, you're going over the in-laws and you dress up the kids to look nice and things like that. That's caring what other people think. Yeah, right. It's innocent, it's relatively innocent, but it's, you know, that's what you're modeling. But one thing you can do really easily, even if you don't have it yourself, is you can minimize and you can normalize failure. Yes. In other words, your kid goes out in a little league field and goes over four with a strikeout. It's like, okay, well, we'll work on it. Let's get an ice cream. You know, that's part of the process. It's part of the learning. It's part of the game. And that's what I teach. Yeah. I, I love, I love the aspect of my job. Probably one of the best aspects of my job that I love the most is teaching parents and kids that failure. And I love the face that I get initially when I say, you're supposed to fail Yeah. in the face I get. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? That's terrible. That's unacceptable. I'm like, no, <laughs> failure. You have to fail 
without failure, you don't have other opportunities. You cannot always be perfect. Perfect doesn't allow you to have these things open up to have other things happen for you. It doesn't allow you to change. It doesn't allow you to tweak something or gain knowledge. Do we have someone just come in the studio? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, hello there. Um, so when they... Failure is failure is part of the pro. It's a necessary part of the process. Yeah. If you aren't failing, you aren't trying new things. You're just well, doing the things that you already know how to do. But failure has such a bad connotation to it, right? Sure. So I mean, look, listen to the word. You know, fail, fail, mm -hmm. fail. But uh, so let's talk about addiction, huh? right? Our favorite topic. Addiction, the model for recovery, often has been presented over the past. 25 years of, you know, having change stages and they used to neglect um, the failure relapse yeah. and relapse would always get dropped off. It would just be like, you know, you're going to be contemplating getting sober. You're going to get sober. You're going to maintain, you're going to take action. You're going to maintain it. And now you've got your four or five steps to do that. And then all of a sudden no one would say like, Oh, by the way, you're, you're supposed to relapse. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? You know, cause you know, when I used to work 20 years ago in, in addiction heavily with veterans, um, I would say you're going to relapse. One in a hundred of you will make it without a relapse out of this room. Most of you will relapse. I think those and odds that, are low, actually. The, <laughs> the quick, the very quick response would be, you know, that taken back astounding how could you say that yeah, well, you're telling me I'm going to fail. It's right. Yeah. But it's and I would and I would wait for it because I'd wait for that moment to say you're supposed to because every time you do that you're learning something new to make sure that the next time you do it better and eventually for you bob it might be that you only do it at once and for sue it might be four times but to allow for it to happen doesn't mean that you should just be like i'm getting sober and then i'm gonna go on a bender it's about it's about allowing yourself to have the opportunity to be imperfect working at something and vulnerable and you know, because that's how you build your character, your self-resilience, your self-esteem, and how it manages you to get away from the ego and being resilient and being real, authentic, yeah. having the humility. Look at that. It ties all back together, Lou. <laughs> the addiction community is particularly good at that because mm -hmm. they they accept failure and there are people who fail dozens of times. Yes. And they just keep going. They keep walking them back in, but they don't encourage it. Like you said, where it's like, okay, I can just have a vendor. It's okay. Everyone's going to accept me. Right. They don't accept it, but they accept it. You know, it's, it's, it, you can fail, come back into the community and get help, but you know, they're not encouraging you to do it either. They're not right. giving it's you not permission like, to do it. it. Right. It's not, yeah. it's not that it's the, it's, it's the, so what happens is that I'm going to tie this together with family. So when you go through a relapse on anything, food, gambling, shopping, mm -hmm. eating, whatever it is. Exes. Exercise. Stop. No, exes. Oh, oh ex, exes. I thought you said exercise. Yeah, yeah exes too. Yes. Um, when, you're, when you're going through that whole process, you're, you're allowing yourself to say, you know what? I didn't learn. I didn't know what I know now. And if I avoid it and I don't come back to it and I don't start from where I left off, not start from the beginning, if I don't start from where I left off, then I'm never giving myself the opportunity to actually move forward because, and so we call that spin drying. Oh, People come in and out, in and out, in yeah. and out, in and out, because they're just coming. And the old school way of doing 
addiction work or doing any kind of resiliency work is people come in, they do the same thing. You send them back out with no resources. That's not how I do that kind of work. It's not, I do my same work for whether it's a person in, in addiction or you know, athlete or someone who's just struggling with their job. It's you're building resiliency. What skill are we building on that wasn't strong enough before that got you into a space where you went and did that thing? What's the dual diagnosis? Yeah. What's the other problem that right. that has because undermined your ability? The symptom of the problem is the alcohol, the right. eating, the exes, the drinking, you know, whatever it is. It's the it's the the underlying thing, which is lack of self-esteem, lack of self-worth, um, negative narrative label, yep. whatever it is. And it gets them looped in and not even knowing because it's so commonplace for that person to have that as their narrative. And usually it's it. the self-image you handed as a kid yes. over and over and over again. You keep coming back to that. Right. And, and because you don't develop your own self-image, no. you're handed it. You're, you're, you're built that with all the environmental influences, whether it's, here's the parent blame, parents, oh. caregivers, you know, extended family, coaches and teachers yep. and your, and your peers yep. and peers, parents. So you're socially norming, even as a baby all the time, based on what you're given. So as a baby, you're being socially normed by your parents, you know, shame and guilt are right in the first two to three years are all formed. Because you're you're looking at, you know, right out of the gate, zero to one years old, you're figuring out, do you trust the world or do you not trust the world? You know, from like one to two, two and a half, you're figuring out, do I have, um, you know, any kind of autonomy um, versus any kind of doubt because self age appropriate autonomy, you know, independence right. to the child, the child's learning how to like potty train, they're trying to feed themselves, you know, do they get allowed to do that? Or are they told you're not doing it? good enough, you right. know, or fast enough. Babies aren't going to be, you know, uh, able you can't to, do that. You're too young. You're too young. Right. Yeah, or, yeah. You, you know, walking up and down the stairs, it takes them a long time. So a parent will pick them up and move them. That's sending a message like you're not capable, yeah. you know, and then by the time you're three, four or five, you've got, you've got guilt already built in because, you know, you take initiative and it's taken away from you because you didn't do it right enough. You didn't tie your shoes good enough. You didn't write with that pencil or stay within the lines with the crayons and all these things. Um, that I see in kids building up by the time I see them at even nine, 10 years old, I'm like, Ugh. Ugh. all right. I got to ask you before yes. we finish, because you yes. started the conversation having a conversation with this pilot and you said you were talking about gender differences and resiliency. Yes. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I formed some immediately. Oh, did you? What well, I want to hear what you formed. Let's see if they. The first thought I formed about gender differences and resiliency is women are chronically resilient. Yeah. They can take long-term beatings <laughs> but, you know, for lack of a better word and they can stand up to it for a long period of time men can stand up to catastrophe yeah and they can come back from a single event or something like that but the chronic day-to-day -day, i think men struggle with more than women so okay so so in that particular scenario what i would say is men are wired more pragmatically to it's like they you know you guys don't hold grudges you don't hold on to things you don't accumulate Women are much more accumulators yeah. and holder honors mm -hmm. and a little bit more grudgy right. and, you know, for lack of better terms. Right. So, but men compartmentalize it's, it's, it's the crisis is there. It's over, it's averted, it's done. And then women tend to, it will be over, but it holds, it becomes a, um, a backdrop to the next thing. And 
we compartmentalize it, but we tend to psychologically use and manifest that for the next thing, which is why when you have couples, male, female couple, they'll get into this. How can you not remember what that, when that happened? How can you not remember that you said that you would do that? How can you not? Because men have gone and compartmentalized and their resiliency is based in the fact that they compartmentalize it. Whereas women's resiliency comes into, I'm going to protect myself because I know what happened last time. And this is yeah, not going to happen to me again. So I'm going to point out that that happened. Men will reshuffle the deck. Women will play that hand till the drop dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a way of putting it, Lou. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, that that would be one way of looking at it. And, and, it's other, and there's general other... stereotypes, but still. Yeah. So th- so there's but there's um there's we're neurologically if if you just look at the genetic coding right we're just neurologically more. You know we're both in survival mode. And there's, those are the survival techniques that we have to become resilient so that we remember the bear in the back of the cave versus like, you know, some men will walk back into the cave forgetting that there was the bear because that was the last time, but that didn't remember that. Right. Yeah. And that's and again, stereotyping, but it's sort of to give the metaphor that women will be like, mm, don't go in caves. Whereas men will be like, I'm going back in that cave. Yeah. <laughs> right. Bear wasn't so bad. Yeah. The bear wasn't so bad. I can bad. take that bear. Exactly. So. <laughs> And, and so they're both resiliency, but just in different ways. Yep. And the better they're fostered or the, or the, I think that goes to those four things. The, the more humility, the more knowledge, the more empathy and the more authenticity in each of those patterns, then just the better stamina of the person to be able to be fact-based and put it out there and be who they are without apology. And hopefully um, you, mo- you um, show that, that complimentary skill set yes. to your kids. You model that for your kids. And right. so hopefully they pick up a little bit of both ways of dealing with it. Right. And, 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 not, and so in, into that point, not passing the buck on, I have several um, children in my practice that the parents will, <laughs> that just made me think of this. The parents will often say things like, what's wrong with your self-esteem? Why don't you have any? And I'm like, mm. Mm. I'm clear on the concept. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I twitch in the back of my head yeah. going, really? Yeah. Really? You don't know why? <laughs> uh, you know, because it's externalized. Like it's not us. We didn't have anything to do with whether or not you have self-esteem or right. not, you know, but that's for another show. Yeah. Nonetheless. So resilience and um, relevance. So to have it is to just keep building on, on the things that we talked about today and being able to really work on being genuine to yourself and having the humility for yourself mm-hmm. and being able to say it's okay that I don't care if I fail or I look imperfect because I'm a human being. And if for someone to say anything else and they're better, well, that's lovely. Go put um, yourself in that position. Go start a new class and yeah. be the person who knows nothing or can't do anything. And, and then, then, then learn and, and grow. Then learn, right. Exactly. Yeah. Learn and grow. Growth mindset, growth mindset. Right. So before we end today, Lou yes. is going to put up on the... Um, oh, no, I'm not. I'll put it in the... Oh, no, you're not. Okay. So Lou is supposed to put up... <laughs> God, you're fired already. Well, Jeez. I got to get it from text to email and email Good to Lord. over here. Right. And so it's 60 days away. In the away. comments. It's 60 days away. Listen to me. Yes. Listen. <laughs> Listen, Lucy. Um, it's 60 days away from the Boston Marathon. I'm raising... $10,000, well, actually $9,250 or $9,750 left because um, I haven't done it yet um, for my wonderful charity, the New England Patriots Foundation, which is a 
a fantastic feeder charity for 26 New England charities that get picked every year from applicants of two to 300 a piece of different charities around the um, uh, New England. And we just had this year's and it was absolutely wonderful. A great charity down in Brockton won the whole $25,000 and each of the other charities got $10,000. Um, but it goes to things that are related to children and domestic violence and veterans and animal funds and uh, women's causes and men's causes and you name it. And it's always different every year, but um, it's a great way for me to be able to go out and run the Boston Marathon course this year in October, but also to help give back to the community. So the link will go up Anything, all and anything, $5, $10, $500 makes it easier for me to get there faster. Um, would be happy for you um, to go on and help me out. Um, and so 60 days away, I just have to race in 60 days. Um, but that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. See, I got it up. You what? I got it up. Look at the screen. Oh, I saw. Uh, Lou got it up. <laughs> and it's wow, in the comments, fast. too. And you can actually link right from the comments. So, so Lou has put up the link. And um, I will also be adding some things on. But your... look in the comments. You can actually click on it in the comments. You can click in the comments. Yep. I see it sort of because I'm blind as a bat. But um, I will also be adding in the next week or so a little kind of giveaway for like people that give um, towards uh, a square towards football um, squares. I'm going to give some Patriots tickets away and do some other things. So, um, but you will be, if you give a hundred dollars or more, you will likely be entered into that drawing um, to do that, to win those tickets. So anyway, so you guys have a great day, go out and be resilient and notice whether or not you have relevance. Put yourself in position to fail. <laughs> put yourself, put yourself in position to fail fail, fail, and be okay with it. Yeah, exactly. There's the message of the day. Yep. All right. And Lou, next week, Huckleberry. Oh, excellent. Yeah. All right. Huckleberry All right. pie? No, just Huckleberry. Just Huckleberry. Okay. All right, you guys. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week.